So we're in the book of Jonah, right? Let's go to Jonah here. A quick recap from, um, from last week. Part of what we were trying to make the case is that Jonah, even though many of you, if, you, if you're a, a Sunday school graduate, you know the story of Jonah. If you've watched Veggie Tales, if you've read kids' stories, you see a certain version of Jonah. And part of what we've been trying to do is to say, right, Jonah is not, it, it could be a kid's story, but it's really an adult story. And how do we read it as adults? How do we have this adult perspective where we need understanding to read the story, we need humility to be read by the story, and then we need, really need faith to live out the story. So if uh, you missed last week, just a quick recap. Uh, Jonah is commanded by God, go to Nineveh. Go to the, uh, you know, the, the folks that he hates the most and share with them the good news. Tell them to repent. Jonah says, there's no way I'm going to go there. I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to go 25, really 3,000 miles away from Nineveh. I'm going to run from God. And we talked about Jonah's refusal, Jonah's retreat, and ultimately Jonah's dependence upon his reputation and his resume. But God has other plans for Jonah. Now, at some level, we can look at the big picture of Jonah, and we can see that he's a prophet, he's unique among the prophets, and that really all the other prophets, it's more about their words. For Jonah, it's more about his life and what that will teach us in some unique ways. And we said last week that part of what makes Jonah really interesting in an adult story is it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. You're going to see a pivotal moment this morning, but there is chapter 4 of Jonah where even after Jonah preaches this great sermon, that's only five words, people repent, even the cows repent, but instead of celebrating, rejoicing, praising God, he's going to be upset because God showed mercy for the hated Ninevites. So it's a complicated story. It's not just a kid's story, and we want to approach it that way. The book ultimately highlights the very character of God, his mercy, his sovereignty, his compassions for the nations. And we get to just scratch the surface on Sunday morning. Again, would invite you, sign up for the Bible study because you're going to get to go deeper. You're going to dig into all those characteristics of God. You're going to get a little bit more of the history. And, And really, the deeper we get into God's Word, and this is what I want you, want you to hear, too. It's not just about knowledge. It's not just about information. But the more clearly I see God's Word, the more I have a hunger and a passion for His Word. I see His character. And that's going to change me from the inside out. So, again, great opportunity coming up for that. A clear picture of who God is in His kingdom. So, We're in the uh, belly of the fish today, so let me take you there. I want you to go to Jonah 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read this prayer to you. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, to the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a contrast, this prayer, this beautiful poetic prayer. How do you compose that in the belly of a fish? I don't understand that fully. Jonah's vomited onto the dry land, and we'll see next week what he does with that. But this morning, I want to share three truths, three truths that I believe Jonah can teach us today. So we're going to simultaneously try to understand Jonah and at the same time help us understand ourselves as we dig in. So this morning, I would invite you simply to have the humility to be read by Jonah this morning. Let's pray before we dig in a little deeper. Father, uh, we need your help this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to remove obstacles to receive Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want your word to penetrate our hearts and our minds. So we need you to be our teacher this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor. Ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The first truth very simple. God hears and answers your prayers. God hears and answers your prayers. Do you believe that to be true this morning? God hears and he answers your prayers. Jonah says, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah's had a change. Remember, there's, in chapter 1, we have Jonah on the run. I imagine, you know, the wind, his hair being blown back. He's, he's heading away from Tarshish. I can run from God. He's already told the sailors this. God has commanded me to do this, but I'm going to do that. Have you been there this morning? Have you run from God? Have you acted in a way that does God really hear? Is God really aware of what's going on? 
So Jonah will come to this conclusion, come to this realization that God actually hears and answers prayers. And here's a key point I want you to hear. God hears and answers our prayers even when we're disobedient. Jonah hasn't had this great change of heart, and now I'm going to pray. There's circumstances that will happen. He is, he is thrown overboard. He is at the end of his rope. But God hears and answers regardless of our obedience sometimes. Now, that's complicated. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's in James. We could have a whole theology of prayer. But I want you to understand God hearing and answering our prayers is an act of grace. It's a gift. If you're in a mess right now, I don't want you to feel like you have to clean it all up before you can pray. God will hear, God will answer wherever you are. He's the first mover. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's in charge of it all, and he hears you. He hears you. This was true for Jonah, the wayward prophet on the run, and it's true for you. Now, Jonah's prayer is a beautiful poem. Again, I would encourage you, go back, look at this prayer. Look, I mean, it's a beautiful prayer. How the Holy Spirit inspires in this process, I think, is just phenomenal. Some people get all caught up, and it's like, oh, my goodness, was, how could God do that? Well, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I think he can, uh, he, he can handle it. He can work through Jonah to compose this prayer. God oversaw the writing down of that prayer for his people, and he has preserved it for us today. Now, your prayers, my prayers, our prayers don't have to be in poetic form. As an old English teacher, they don't have to be an iambic pentameter. God hears our cries, but he wants to hear our cries. He wants to hear our cry of the heart. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to hear what's on your heart. And he's given you the Holy Spirit. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, it's part of what Romans was about, part of what Romans 8, Paul's going to say, look, I've given you the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in prayer? Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Your prayers, my prayers, they don't have to be perfect. They can be misguided. They can be full of anger. They can be full of doubt. But God hears and answers our prayers. Now, we say things like, we have a relationship with God, God is with you. I want you to pause for a moment and imagine how deep that really is. When you think of God the Father, your Abba Father, that you can say, 
He says, you don't have to use all this fancy terminology. You can come to me as your Abba, Dada, Father. Have you heard I've got a grandchild? <laughs> oh my goodness, that little baby. You know, I can't wait. I'm just waiting for her to say, Pops. That probably won't be her first word. I had a dream, though, that she said that, and it was clear and beautiful. But we can relate to God that way, dependent upon Him. He has given us His Son to die on the cross for us. He's given us His Spirit, His Holy Spirit to remind us who you are, who we are. Let that sink in. God hears and answers our prayers. The second thing, God will use your pain for good. That's a fun one. God will use your pain for good. Jonah says this, verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Let's talk about pain for a moment. Do you believe that to be true? Fundamentally, do you believe that God can use pain, your pain, for your good? That's one of those lessons, yeah, everybody gets it here, but can you get it here? I literally got it here this week. Sometimes you're the own cause of your pain. Jonah got himself into a fix. I'll tell you what I did on Monday. I'm running around. I got nine million things to do. I got a leak in my, my pipes, and I'm going to be the expert plumber and get it fixed. I actually did get it fixed, but in that process, I'm in my van. I open up the sliding door looking for my computer because I got to respond to something in the process. Bam, open up my front door, huge gash on my forehead, blood running down my face. Who was the cause of that pain? Me. Nobody else caused it. Nobody else caused it. Sometimes you're the cause of your own pain. Sin has consequences. I'll just say it. Our stupidity, my stupidity has consequences sometimes. Somehow God will use that. I don't know how he used this cut. I, I'm tired of sermon illustrations having to do with my pain. You probably are too. Sometimes others are the cause. Sometimes pain happens and it's really not, not your fault. If you know Joseph and his brothers, I mean, Joseph was a pretty good dude. Well, there's, that's complicated too. There are plenty of people in the Bible, you know, I think of Daniel, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, heroes in the Bible, who really just other people cause them pain. Sometimes the cause seems unknown and outside your control. Job, he doesn't, he doesn't see the curtain being peeled back, and he suffers mightily. But as you think about this, and here's, here's something I think that, if, especially if you're a newer believer or you're checking Christianity out, you're saying, is this stuff really true? Let me tell you right now, if you think following Jesus will mean that your life will be just perfect and smooth and rainbows and unicorns. I hate to break it to you, but that's not what following Jesus is about. There will be pain. 
That's reality. But God will use that pain. Now, uh, there's a phrase I came across this week in studying Jonah, and a couple of them uh, use this phrase, uh, and it's called severe mercy. Talk about the severe mercy that Jonah will go through. And that phrase just stuck with me. And when I hear a phrase like that, sometimes I don't want to just hear it. I want to say, well, where does that come from? So I did a little research, and it came from a book by Sheldon Van Auken called A Severe Mercy. Now, Sheldon Van Auken, his uh, nickname was Van, actually went to Wabash College, my alma mater. I discovered that later. I said, well, this this guy must be brilliant, so I better study him. But he and his, his wife, Jean, who was nicknamed Davy, they had this uh, just idealistic marriage. I mean, if you were going to paint a picture of just this sappy, sweet, over-the-top love for one another, this was them. They did everything together. They read poetry together. They listened to music together. They sailed together. I think he grew up in Carmel, so he had a little bit of resources Their love was so intense that they said it's a shining barrier, that that this will, our love is everything. And they weren't believers. They called it a pagan love. They were not Jesus followers. But their love was the most important thing. It was an idol. In fact, they, they, they had some means and they bought a new car and they took a sledgehammer to the car just so that car wouldn't be something they would idolize. Can you picture that kind of love? Well, a funny thing happens. They end up in Oxford, Indiana boy in Oxford, and you know, the really uh, highly intellectual company. And they start hanging out with these really smart people who also happen to follow Jesus. One of them, a guy maybe you've heard of, C.S. Lewis probably one of the most important Christian writers of, you know, modern times. Well, Davy will put her faith and trust in Christ. She will follow him. Van, the guy, is a little, he's like, I don't know. He's on the fence. He'll try to pray that, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief prayer. But it's just not quite there. And then Davy gets sick. And she dies, mid-30s, prime of life, prime of their life. She gets sick, and she dies. And what a a crisis of faith. And in the book, there's all these letters between Van and C.S. Lewis. And in one of them, Lewis says this. Lewis wrote that he believed Van Auken's struggles had their root in the fact that he had made an idol of love, and it was killing his faith. Lewis said something in the scenario would inevitably have to die, the idol or the faith. The worst option, Lewis said, was for their faith to die while Van and Davy kept on living. You have been treated with a severe mercy, Lewis wrote. A severe mercy. That is really hard. That is really hard to hear. 
But friends, I would tell you this morning, sometimes God gives us this much pain to keep us from this much. Because in this process, instead of running from God, Van will lean into God and put his faith in God and come to Christ in him. And somehow God used this horrific thing for his good and for his glory. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is not a verse that says everything in this life will turn out as you want it to turn out. It's a passage that says God will use all things, good, hard, bad, painful, to conform you, to conform me, to shape us to be more like Jesus. That is hard to see through the windshield sometimes. Sometimes I'll see it in the rear view. I want, I want my faith to grow so I can see it more in the windshield. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, who's a great missionary, Ecuador, her husband was killed. Just great story, tremendous faith. She said this, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Wow. The third thing. God is worthy of your ultimate praise. Let me go back to verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, to the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought, me, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Can you praise God in the midst of your trial? That's what Jonah does. Now, the reality of Jonah, we're going to see in a couple weeks, Jonah's repentance isn't perfect. In some ways, he will repent of repenting. And I'm sure he's the only one in this room who's ever done that. But in this moment, Jonah has a great declaration of faith, a great praise. He can praise God in the midst. Lower and lower and lower he goes. Seaweed wrapped around his head. What a beautiful detail. But in the midst of that, he can praise God. He can give God ultimate worth Reminds me of Acts 16. You see Paul and Silas 
in prison in Philippi, and they think they're probably going to die. And what are they doing? They are singing praises to God. This morning, can you sing in the midst of your pain? Can you praise God in the midst of it all? Can you see beyond today? Can you see beyond the circumstances that are hard? We get a picture of this. We get a little picture that points to the gospel here. And I believe one of the things we need to understand as we see this gospel is it is never too late. It is never too late. It's never too early. We're going to have a baptism here in a little bit. High school kid, praise Jesus. I love that. But it is never too late. Wherever you are, whatever season you are in, it is not too late. So let me ask you this morning, how will you respond? Here we are. We've got Jonah, the belly of the fish. So right now, as you and I, as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive from the Lord through communion, we remember this truth. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. So what does that mean for you today? What does that really mean? Peel away all the layers of performance and appearance, pretending, all that. Just, just peel it away from it. What's that mean for you today? What does that really mean? Maybe some of you, for the first time, for the first time, you can say, Lord, I believe. I still have some doubts. I still have questions, but I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just trying to say that my view of God is dependent upon my circumstances. Today, you can simply say, Lord, I, I believe. I'm open-handed. I'm, 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 I'm at the end of my rope, and I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. I know it's not going to be easy. I don't know what the path ahead is, but I am ready to take a step of faith. You can do that today. You can do that today. You can pray a simple prayer and start your journey. If you don't know how to do that, come see me afterwards. I can, I can help you. We have other people out in the lobby who could help you with that. Some, maybe you're just crying out in distress this morning. And you can connect with Jonah who's alone at the bottom and it's dark and he can't see. Or you cry out. You can cry out to him today wherever you are. Because God is waiting, he is waiting, he hears, and he will answer. Maybe some of you today, the, the, the challenge, the takeaway is, can I trust God independent of my circumstances? Does the in Christness, does that relationship, does that connection, that attachment love, does that mean enough to you? That when you look out and you see your circumstances, you, see, you can praise. And maybe some, do you have an idol to release? Something, it may be a good thing, 
It may even be love for somebody, but it is above God. It is above your relationship with Christ. And maybe today you need to reorder those loves a little bit. Cry out to God. He can help you with that. Now, as we come to the communion table together this morning, I would invite you to go ahead and take out the bread and the cup. And we know that all the things that we talk about, you know, Jonah, (laughs) Jonah just got a glimpse. Jonah lived at a time before Jesus came to earth, before the resurrection. The story of Jonah, even as Jesus himself, will be a sign that will point to Jesus. And as I think about Jonah's cry, we're reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room. And he broke the bread, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed for you. He said, take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive juice together. God's word tells us that as often as we receive the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and we look forward to his return. And we know that all this is true. All this is true, capital T, true, because Jesus lived and he died and he rose. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you. We thank you for your loving kindness to us. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to remind us who we are. And as we remember, as we really remember what you have done for us, Jesus, we simply say thank you. And we ask that your spirit would lead us, would guide us, In these moments, may we have the humility to have open hands, to release whatever we need to release, that you would help us to think right about who you are, that you would work in our hearts to truly transform us to be more like you. So we ask Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that only you can do and that you would guide us as we respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.